Welcome to Talk 30 to Me, a show where we talk about the perspective of 30-somethings on life, love, and the never-ending pursuit of fulfillment. My name is Anthony, but most people just call me Turg. And I'm Randy Z. Let's start the show. It's been a while, right? It's been... It's been a long time. At least two months. At least two months. Yeah, I haven't seen you in a long time. I know. We actually didn't and even talk for like a whole month. Yeah, well, you were dying. I didn't want to interfere. <laughs> I really just Thanks. wanted you to die. Thank you. <laughs> Maybe I would have forgotten about you had you not reached out. <laughs> yeah. So, what happened to you? Uh, so, I went ahead and had the surgery. Had my gallbladder removed. Um, I was high out of my mind for about two weeks. Ooh. Uh, and then... Another two weeks, uh, just adjusting to the new normal, and it's it's brutal. What is the new normal? Uh, no, no fried foods, no fatty foods, <clears throat> low dairy intake. Ouch. Yeah. So since since July twenty June twenty first, I'm down eighteen pounds. Eighteen nice. pounds. Yeah. Well done. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I don't. I don't know either. I guess you won't find out until later yeah yeah so i'm i am as of today i think i'm four weeks post-op nice yeah so i had 10 keys bring everything up i didn't carry anything today right of course not Mm -hmm. right you could probably rip right pretty much but before that uh the first half of june well june was a crazy month altogether because yeah started june uh in vancouver uh with uh, my first corporate retreat and we released a song out there it was crazy and maybe i'll tell you the story i don't know i think you should tell the story okay so the first night that we were there, we, um, me and Cliff walked down to uh, the local store to go get sandwiches or whatever because it was like midnight, nothing was open, <clears throat> and we're, we're we're arguing in the chip aisle, and I want goldfish. He's talking about wheat thins, and some girl just happens to walk by and says Triscuits are the way to go, and tosses yeah. them at us and just walks away. Dude, and those was, rosemary ones are no joke. Those, that's exactly what she tossed at us. It's funny, uh, and so. It, just like okay like someone just kind of just crashed our conversation and just like kept it pushing i was like all right so that was our first night there the 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 trip itself was was crazy vancouver was an amazing city you don't think of vancouver being crazy in the sense where they're like you know kind of on the edge living uh party to party kind of thing no it's kind of a sleepy canadian town i you know i don't know because all the pictures i see that people have posted is all this beautiful lush greenery no i was like in some back alleys i was in some underground spots uh with with all these like dope musicians and different things so we happened to just fall into the right crowd of people that that got us into different shows and we were hanging out we went to this one spot called uh guilt and company where we were there this the, <laughs> we closed down the the, the spot and then we we're there till 3 a.m with like just like the staff and the band just chilling wow it was it was a lot of fun. I mean, there's this other story. I don't know if that one's like I you know you, you alluded to that to the other story. Um, there were, okay, so when was you this, were there. there was this girl that I met, and you know, I mean, so you're just gonna say it? Yeah, I'm just gonna say it. So this, this is Brazil. <laughs> way, way to lead into it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, all right, fuck it. Uh, there's this girl. Tell us Go the on. story. Go right. On. So there's this Brazilian girl that we met at this bar. Well, first we met this this Irish cat that just like gave us the key to the city, had us in this this crazy high rise where we got all these like dope pictures and we were just like listening to music stuff like that, just shopping different stuff. And he connected us with some really great people. Uh, and then he took us to this bar across the street from where he stays. And um, sat down to this Brazilian chick where she was telling us about some samba party that was happening that night. And we just happened to 
be staying across the street from that place and we had stopped in there for breakfast already mm. so uh she calls her friends over her friends coming in and this uh, that, that was the <laughs> that, brutal part that that noise was the only telling factor right there uh, yeah. yeah so this girl <laughs> it was it was all fun and games and you know it was you know great conversation until she got to the point where she's talking about uh she was going through like 20 something guys a week whoa velvet revolver yeah and then yeah so it was just it was just like openly talking about it yeah just just like, like proud of it no shame in her rotation at, at all at all and she's like you know more about now she's like okay well i've cut it down to just three three good ones so it's a rotation now essentially cool i went through a year like that <laughs> not that like not that extreme like not 20 guys yeah but, you not know. Week, 20 though. unique guys a week i don't know if they're unique well that's well that's what she was kind of asking right I, yeah i'm I, like I, are, I is it like one time only or i don't just... i don't know i think it's a variation of, of that one time only and then like reoccurring but at least 20 a week she was saying i mean hmm. like with no shame at all i was hmm. just like huh yeah huh yeah there you go i can't do the patented randy huh, huh. yeah you gotta work on so it. that was kind of a buzzkill, and thankfully they uh, they got the hint and left us alone after a while. We were not interested. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Had I been in your shoes, I don't know what my reaction would have been. I might have been, you know, you know, intrigued a little bit. I have a very expressive face, and I think the look of disgust was pretty potent when she kind of laid down the news. Lay, uh, no pun. Yeah. 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 No so pun intended. I, I didn't want to go. <laughs> I guess pun intended. Yeah, maybe. pun intended. Yeah. So anyway, so that was like I can't remember what else we were doing. I had all these different things I wanted to tell you. So anyway, you didn't write it down. <clears throat> I didn't what? write it down. I didn't write it down at all. Oh God. So anyway, so the thing, the thing, going back to um, the last day that we were there, I had fucked up on our reservation, so we checked out from our place Sunday, but our flight wasn't until Monday morning. So we had like a full day of just like floating Carrying around your luggage. Right. So I hit Airbnb trying to find somebody or find a place to, uh, to stay. And uh, I go to book this spot and uh, the girl hits me back saying, hey, I, used, I don't know why I can't block off the dates. I usually just save it for uh, or rent it out when I'm out of town. I was like, oh, OK, well, thanks anyway. She's like, but you're welcome to crash on my couch. I was like, huh. Well, I'll circle back to that. I uh, tried to find some other places. We got nothing. So I hit her up. I was like, hey, are you for real, for real about just like letting us crash on your couch? She's like, yeah, come through. No big deal. I was like, all right. So it was kind of it was kind of one of those things where just like, I was like, is this the last day of my life right now? <laughs> you felt like you were going to get. Oh, what? yeah. What am I walking into? What am I walking into? Yeah. But was she cool, though? No. So here's here's the funny thing. So but we pull it's up. Canada. Hold it on, is Canada. Really? You also got to remember it is Canada. Yeah. And yeah. it's funny because we found out that, that Vancouver is rated the meanest city in Canada. Really? <laughs> and it was like the what? most hospitable experience I've ever had in my life. Huh. There you go. Right. And so we pull up to the spot and she comes down and she's like, hey, were you the guys with the Triscuits on Thursday? <gasps> no way. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. Circle back. Circle back. Oh. 100% real. That actually happened. And she was super dope. Turns out she's an Olympian. Uh, for the Canadian National Women's Wrestling Team. So it's like, okay, well, she really could. <laughs> I'm just picturing, like, huh, with the Triscuits. <laughs> she she chucked him at Randy and he flew two aisles down. <laughs> yeah, so. Like nunchucks, like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, pretty much, man. So that was that was, that was was an interesting interesting trip. You know, we also released a single while we were out there and it, and it got played. At it this. was a hell of a song, too. I liked it. Thank lot. you. Yeah. Thank you. It was a great song. I, I even messaged you. I was like, dude, this is dope. Thanks. It was really nice. Yeah, it was super random. And then we were at the spot. You know, they they played it at one of the after parties that we were at. It was like Vancouver just showed a lot of love. 
And then when we came back, the song that we had submitted a year ago to this label on Costa Mesa, a remix for this artist that we did, just got released. And then yesterday, just got onto Spotify. Wow. Yeah, you told me about that. That's a year awesome. ago. Just so there you go. I mean, hey, look, you put in your dues, and you and, and it pays <laughs> off in the end, I guess, right? Yeah, I guess. All the story. No, I just felt like bragging. That's that was no, cool. it's good. <laughs> no, bragging. Come on. Yeah, uh, we had two songs. That's that's. Um, no, man. So that was that, and then I literally came back for a day. Was back on the road for a conference. Came back, and then uh, in between all that, I was having issues. I had to go get a stress test and. Had my I was I looked like a man lantern. Had to get my chest shaved in certain places to get the, the little <laughs> what's it called on your chest. You so probably go, needed it. It's all right. That's an unkempt garden right there, standing in front of me. <laughs> you need some TLC there, Bubba. It's my jungle of love. Jungle of love. <laughs> I like hairy guys. Do you? Oh man, I cannot date guys that aren't hairy. Oh, no, I get that. I, I mean, want to run my nails through it a little bit. Yeah, you're not you're not going after an Olympian swimmer, you know, some guy with <laughs> yeah, a baby body, you know. <laughs> But you don't want to go after fucking like Beast from X Men either, you know? Like I mean, fucking. Uh. I've really dated some hairy guys. Okay, if that's your thing, to each their own. I've dated some hairy guys too. <laughs> Hi, I'm Randy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so, what else? I mean, that's it. After oh, yeah, that, so, you just surgeried up and. Yeah, then I had, I had the surgery. Um, and then I, I just started getting back to normal last week. And I'm still struggling now. I'm still adjusting. Yeah, no shit. I mean, it's going to be. Whenever, you know, <clears throat> whenever you have something like that done, uh, I can't imagine it's an easy road to recovery. But you know what? Maybe this will kind of give you that wake-up call that you needed to, you know, turn Maybe. your shit around. Maybe. So here's here's the thing, though, and I don't know if I should be concerned. I didn't ask my doctor because I, I don't know why I didn't. I should have. But they told me I was going to have four incisions. And then when I woke up, well, when I realized it two days later, when I looked at myself... I had five. Uh, oh, one's hey. for the scope. <laughs> one's probably for the scope. No, no, all four oh. work. You know, for the scope, for the the whatever tools and whatever thing. It was laparoscopic. Yeah, laparoscopic. So yeah. it's supposed to be four, and I was like, oh well. It's probably just an extra prod. I mean, I, like depending I, on like positioning. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that they tried to pull it out through one and didn't work, so I had to go <laughs> go another <laughs> way. That's possible. Yeah, I am out of my depth there. Yeah. So I wouldn't know. You know, it's, it's funny. I told I told my boys this story. Uh, the day, also. Mm-hmm. did I tell you this one? <clears throat> no. The day, the day I was actually at the hospital. I'm sitting there, in the hospital bed, and the nurse has to come and shave my abdomen, and uh, for surgery, which is you know because that's where everything's happening. And uh, I was like, cool, whatever. And it was it was two days later when the first time I actually looked at myself in the mirror, I was looking at my scars. I noticed that he actually he actually went further than my abdomen and took care of my nether region well yeah you know why but he but he shaped it though that's the thing he didn't take it all he shaped it i'll tell you why it, he oh only did God, the sides hold on he, <laughs> there's a reason for that he only did the sides yeah uh, because if something happens they have to tap through like a there's an artery that runs oh, okay. down here and okay. they have to be able to access it so okay. i haven't i have one ovary i had an ovary removed mm. um from a ruptured cyst that burst and um well, I mean, I wax and now laser, but uh, I happen to know Thank because you. when they were, you Very know, informative. <laughs> Love it. I mean, I wasn't, I didn't need to be trimmed. Like, it wasn't like that. But I remember them telling me, like, this is an access point that we have to get to this artery because it's a, it goes all the way up, like, to your heart if mm. they need to. Yeah. So and, you asked the questions. He just kind of, yep. 
I, I didn't ask. They it. told me it was informative. <laughs> they they told me, but that's that's why Doc, they did I that. I trust you. <laughs> I just if laid you need back. to shave my pubes. Now you got go a for it. Strip. I just, <laughs> I just, right. I just, I just laid back and like, okay, well, this is my life now. So. But anyway, that was that was my last month. But now that we had this third voice chime in, I guess we should probably introduce her. Yeah, I think that's good. Um, Audrey, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi guys, my name is Audrey Bellis. I'm the founder of Startup DTLA and uh, Worthy Women. I'm also a founding board member of Grid One Ten. Short and sweet, right? Short and point. sweet. Yeah. I just didn't want everybody listening like, wait, who's that? That's Sankey's has a real soft voice. Like, I didn't want people they to They finally think, got him on the show, though. Keys. And then, <laughs> nope, it's not Sankey's. Sorry, guys. Sorry. Right. Hey, we are actually broadcasting uh, on Facebook Live for the mm-hmm. first time. So it is something kind of cool that we're trying, and hopefully it catches on. Um, it's already caught on slightly. And, you know, in the future, if you guys are ever curious, keep tabs on our talk 30 to me page or our personal pages and you can definitely uh sign on and watch us pod live whoa <laughs> okay that's probably getting cut out um i will make sure it does not <laughs> i'll put it at the end but yeah back to it uh turg uh what have you been doing for the last two months well uh trying to fo- refocus on my career trying to refocus on family life just really living grinding trying to gain some traction on some things that have been spinning out of control for me personally uh, like what? Well, work, we've had a lot of change at work. So just trying to refocus on that, uh, feeling like I'm stalling. So, you know, for career, I don't really look for anything new. But if something comes across my desk, I'll definitely go after it. So I've been, you know, chasing a couple things and might have something new in the works. I actually do have something new in the works. Okay. <laughs> so, um, that's kind of refreshing. It's a new kind of lease on life and a new start for me are you just gonna stay very ambiguous or you're gonna tell tell me a little more about what you're talking about you want me to i now let's just move ahead um so anyway yeah tell me fool jeez <laughs> so i got hit up by a recruiter a few uh about a month ago uh for starbucks and they have a new plant out in rancho cucamonga that produces juice they're revamping their whole storefront and retail aspect to be a little bit more health focused health conscious because they've been getting a lot of negative press about you know starbucks is evil and blah blah, blah coffee sucks so they're going like green juice kind of cold pressed really health focused is this evolution evolution fresh oh they follow me on uh, instagram do they really yes they awesome. do yeah That's so funny. i will be working for evolution fresh starting probably the end of august congratulations nice under starbucks so i am a starbucks man now working for a <laughs> fortune 500 company Congratulations, man. You get to use the hashtag to be a partner. Yeah. Yeah, I get to use to be a partner and all the the great stuff. Free coffee, free tea, free juice. Yeah, I get a mark out every week. My sister used to work at Starbucks. I know. My cousin used to work at Starbucks. He used to come home with a whole plate of coffee cake. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, you get all that. They throw all that away. Everything's fresh. And the juice is really good. Uh, We've been trying it. (laughs) Shut up, Sankeys. He's like, I want my La Boulange. (laughs) (laughs) You get sick of it, though. It's like with anything. You can't bring yeah. home that stuff all the time. No, You'd that's why it's, it's going to make great gift stocking stuffers and, and all that <laughs> yeah. stuff. I mean, it's it's awesome to be a part of that. And It's going to be a Merry Christmas after all. They take care of their employees, and that's something that I'm really looking forward. I'd be working under some really great leaders, and that's just gotten me a lot more relaxed lately. Plus, I'd be making a shitload more money. Um, <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. Um, Aside from that, I think uh, my wife and I, with with Ethan, um, we took a trip to Las Vegas. So it was our first trip to Las Vegas with, with 
I mean, you know, because kids are like drunken roommates, right? So how was that trip? Worse. <laughs> well, how old is the kid, I guess, is the better question. He is two. Oh, all right. He's two years old. So <clears throat> the drive there was great. Uh, no traffic whatsoever. Very short. We got there. We got to our room. We were staying at a um, resort suite uh, for the Hilton, the Alara, right at, by the Miracle Mile of Shops, by where uh, Planet Hollywood is and all mm, that. Okay. So it's right on the strip. <laughs> we get there and... I'm thinking, because we've been there before, I'm thinking, you know, we're going to have a suite and all that. It's going to be awesome. One bedroom suite, huge with washer and dryer and all this, all the amenities. And we get there and it's the studio. And I'm like, fuck. <laughs> Trying to call like you guys fucked up. I should have gotten the one bedroom. They're like, no, we gave you the studio. It's all we had in inventory. It's July. Hello. So it's like, fuck. I booked this like eight months in advance. Anyway, we go. <laughs> it's nice. But it wasn't what I was hoping because there were three of us crammed into a studio room. I mean, it was a decent-sized room, but when you have a kid, you want your space. That's with everything. Um, so we get there, and I'm kind of like, fuck, you know, I got to make this right. Anyway, we, we lived through it. Couldn't make it right, but we wanted to make the best of it anyway. So we're going out every day trying to show Ethan everything, you know, the hotels, the lights. Uh, the sights, the sounds. The fact that it went from like you know this hotel, hotel, you know, blah blah blah. blah now I show Ethan everything. He's he's two. Yeah, but you know, my wife is a firm believer in that these are kind of foundational building blocks for mm. experiences. You know, and I will never take that away from him because I'm like, hey, why not? Okay. You know, we get a little bit of sacrifice. Well, for me, I'll tell you about. It. It was a lot of sacrifice for us. <laughs> Let's put it that way. I had a, I, I, on scale of one to 10, if I had to rate all my Vegas trips, for the fact that it was nostalgic, I will give it a 10. But for the actual trip, I would probably rate it a three. Mm. It was bad. Not too, okay, maybe that's too, what? maybe like a four. <laughs> I mean, I, I thought it was going to be like a negative two, personally, but. I mean, I feel it wasn't so bad. bad. I don't even want to yeah. tell you about my trip to Vegas. It, it was like that a bad. ten. No, I, that's <laughs> and look, I've and had Fourth of July weekend. I've had tens before, and and that's great. But now, I think it was kind of sobering because you kind of have to realize that you're not living for yourself as much as you are for someone else now, and that's the whole thing about being parent. As much as you try to live for yourself, you have to kind of give a little bit more to your child, and and that comes with a little bit of sacrifice. That's natural. And this is lessons from Vegas, essentially. Lessons from Vegas, yeah. <laughs> so I mean, it wasn't all bad. We got to see a good amount of hotels. We, you know, he got to run around on the strip and go nuts. And that was a weekend of the UFC 200 fight. So there are a shitload of people there. Yeah. Uh, that was right after the Fourth of July weekend, as a matter of fact. So let me let me ask you something because I mean, of, I feel like it's very well known. A lot of people go for Vegas. I go to Vegas for for drinking, among other leisurely activities do you cut that out now that you're a parent or? absolutely not no as a matter of fact i ran into <laughs> he's like we found a babysitter we no a i wish you know we wanted to bring my mom um not for the fact that you know we want to take advantage of the situation but it would have been nice for her to come and take care of Ethan while we could go out and kind of just unwind a little bit mm -hmm. um but my wife is pregnant so it, she wouldn't oh. she wouldn't be drinking um and she wasn't drinking but uh, <laughs> oddly enough, I think on the um, on one of the nights there, I ran into a group of students that I used to teach at Bosco Tech. Oh. Wow. And we were just walking to our hotel. We were going back to unwind for the day. And he was like, hey, Turkman. I was like, what? Who, who is that? And then I look over and it's my it's one of my students, Kyle. 
And I was like, hey, what's up, man? Uh, he told me he was going to be in Vegas and all that, and he was staying at Bally's. And, and I was like, yeah, maybe we'll hook up. But in the back of my mind, I was like, I, you know, I'm not going to make the effort. If it happens, it happens. And right. lo and behold, it happened. Mm. So he's like, hey, let's take a shot. <laughs> and I was like, all right, let's let's go. I was like, baby, come on. We're going to go. It'll be quick in and out. She was like, look, you want to go? Like, just hang out? Because she felt bad. Yeah. Like, she genuinely felt bad. She was like, I know you're having a miserable time. <laughs> just go. Were you, were you the dark cloud in, in Vegas? I kind of was. And Aww. I was, it, it was, like I said, it was very sobering to have a kid there because I wanted him to have the best experience. But I was also realizing that it wasn't the Vegas that I I knew and loved yeah. anymore. And it's never going to be. Well, it might be without him. Right. <laughs> or the kids. Yeah. Back-to-back shots of Sunny D just don't. They don't cut it. No. <laughs> they don't cut it. But, um, so she leaves me be and I take off with uh, <laughs> freshly... Freshly branded 21-year-olds to go in Vegas and paint the town red. But I was like, hold on. got to reel it in. I'm 30. I don't want to hold these kids back. So I was like, let's go take a shot. You guys want to see a show? Yeah, right. <laughs> let's go to a lounge and stay somewhere nice and quiet for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I know. Um, so we went to take a shot. And, and I was like, you know, let's go to the Cosmo. I think you guys will love it. It's a young kind of hip. Uh, hotel it's yeah. for your age range you know well that's us where we too. stayed yeah. yeah it's a great uh-huh. hotel i yeah. i love that fucking hotel i'm like um, infatuated with the cromwell right now the cromwell huh yeah and right when you walk in there's like a little whiskey lounge and cigar lounge right? very sophisticated yeah yeah, yeah. but um sorry <clears throat> no that's cool cigar. we go to the cosmo and then i think we lose like two people in the group and i was like look guys um we're gonna be looking for a place that you guys feel comfortable drinking at for a while I have a bottle in the hotel room. Let's go back to the lobby and we'll chill for a little bit and we'll talk, catch up. Because I haven't talked to these guys in a while. Or actually, yeah, I haven't talked to them in a while. So I go grab the bottle, come downstairs, and we just start talking. And then he was like, hey, another guy's over here. You want me to invite him? I was like, sure. It's like it's another kid from Bosco. It's like the whole fucking class was there, you know, this weekend. <laughs> so it was kind of cool. We chilled for a little bit and I was like, look, old guy has to go to sleep. You know, it's close to 1, one thirty, I think. You guys, you guys definitely have a lot of night left. Just go and have fun, and uh, we parted our way, we parted separate ways, and and it was cool hanging out with, you know, the the old Bosco students. What's 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 that like? Because the last time that you saw them, I'm assuming they were probably what 16, 17? Uh, 17, 18. Yeah, they were right. seniors. Seniors. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Dang. So it was really surreal. I mean, look, I taught them when they were seniors, and they're graduating college now. That's yeah. trippy. You know, yeah. it's been that long and it doesn't feel like I've accomplished a lot in life, which is kind of sad. But this whole, this new job with Starbucks is pretty optimistic, I think. Yeah. Uh, looking up, you know, Fortune 500. Woo. <laughs> I'm excited <laughs> for you, man. Uh, congratulations. Thank you. But going from a, a level three story to a level 10 story. Level 10. Young Audrey. So what? young. Not young. <laughs> Can I just tell you, when he suggested, so I'm dating somebody new, recently okay. met. And when he said, what are you doing for 4th of July? How do you feel about going to Vegas? I was in my head like, I've never been to Vegas single. I guess I'm not really single because I guess we're dating. I was just going to say, didn't you say? (laughs) Yeah. And the other part of that is I never did the big Vegas experience when I was younger because I went through a lot in my 20s. And I never did the pool party. And I'm sitting here going like, man, we're going to be around the Fresh Forever 21 girls. And they're going to be all skimpy. And I'm going to be up here in my bikini being like, I'm too old for this. And, you know, in the pool, like, oons, oons, oons. And I hate house music. And that's going to be the most miserable experience of life. And it's going to be hot. And it's 4th of July. And all the young people are going. And it was fucking 10 experience. He was a blast. 
we had a great time uh we did do the pool party and it was a maze balls from what i remember with a purple from what you remember <laughs> from what i remember right. um i mean that sounds like the 20s vegas experience because it's of what you can remember so, so i'm missing a big chunk from the saturday like we you know we got there on friday <laughs> that was that was super fun that's legit like big chunk like uh half the day three quarters of the i day. remember the morning i remember getting to the pool i remember some experiences in the pool but i don't remember leaving the pool getting back to the room uh there's like conversations that are like piecemealed together i think like i'm trying to remember if i dreamed them or they actually happened and then the next day, I actually wasn't hungover. The next day, like, we were fine. We had a great day. And then we came back. And it was a great trip. That's you know, <laughs> you're traveling with somebody new and, like, all these experiences. You're like, oh, shit. What's going to happen? We're either going to like each other or really not like each other. And that's a long car ride home. But it was good. Yeah, I guess you would find out eventually. But, okay, you had a really good trip in yeah. your 30s. That should have been in your 20s. How do you feel about it? Um... I mean, I feel good. It was it was great. I don't sit here and think like, oh, I didn't do that in my 20s. Therefore, I'm making up for lost time now. It's definitely not that. I mean, did I get a little looser than I normally would? Yeah, but he's older than me. He's like 43 and he was hanging way better than I was. <laughs> I think I'm the old one in this situation. <laughs> so you went in you went into this thinking it's going to be uh, a shitty trip, essentially. Or, or No, was, I didn't think it was going to be shitty. I was just a little... Low expectations. I was having some personal self-doubts mm. going, oh, man, like I'm dating somebody new. We're going to be in the pool around the young, skinny, hot girls. Mm. And now I'm feeling like I'm not... You're well, not I'm younger than him, but I'm like, I don't want to be standing around the girls wearing like nipple stickers, right? <laughs> Literally. Even I wouldn't want to be standing next to the girls wearing nipple stickers. No, I'd feel a little feeling, intimidated. Yeah, I was feeling yeah. a little like self-conscious. Yeah. And turns out, you know, there was all kinds of other well-rounded girls in the pool who also had big boobs and were like, hey, look at mine, look at yours. Like, Oh, just the casual exchange. And I just, think uh, well, you, mentioned... you know, you're just sitting next to each other oh, having okay. fun. Yeah, I, but wait, I think you mentioned earlier it went beyond sitting next to <laughs> and having fun, though. So uh, I don't know if you want to get into that. but maybe. I mean, I vaguely remember a very good time. Purple slushies. I remember meeting these guys, uh, coincidentally, that were from Orange County. And here's the funny thing. They had just turned 25, and I remember them telling me, yeah, we're older now. We're 25. We bought slushies. We got pictures of slushies. And in my head, I was like, dude, I'm 30. You're so cute. <laughs> like, oh. And it was, he was like, he was like, girls love older guys. I was like, yeah, I do. Right? Like, you know, playing along with it. You turn around and he's like, we're 25. And I was like, oh. Uh, I, I feel old. That's a major fail. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, wow. If you think 25 is older, what the fuck? What's the average age in Vegas now? I'm curious. I think it's always been like 21 to 21, 25. Right? Yeah. yeah. has to be. But then it also depends on what part of Vegas you're going to. Because if you go to. Uh, That's true. The old strip, then it's like 65 plus. Well, not even. Because you have hotels that cater to different demographics. I right. mean, you get, you're not going to have a young, rowdy group stay at the Wynn. You know, no. that's an older, you know, hotel. You got the Bellagio, certain portions of the Bellagio are classier. Yeah. Um, the Venetian and all that. Yeah, there are different hotels. I've, I've never gone this deep into type of research of hotels well, got, in Vegas. Well, I mean, look at the downtown Vegas. That's a great little fun happening. We wanted to now. go there. We definitely wanted As in to go like there. Fremont Street. Yeah. Yeah. Fremont. yeah that's what I'm that's, talking about. That's, that's Old yeah. Strip, right? Yeah. That's, well, yeah. that's Old Town. That's, oh, it's Old Town. Yeah, that's downtown Las Vegas. Okay. Yeah. So the Strip is completely different. Yeah, I mean, the Strip has its own personality now, and I think they're building a shitload of new hotels there. 
God, it's going to be, I mean, give it eight years and completely different experience, I think. Yeah, I haven't been to Vegas in at least, at least, I was, last time I was there actually was for a 30th birthday. And I just remember standing in the line for cabs and someone passing a bottle. <laughs> just all hitting that the is bottle. a dirty 30 experience. <laughs> I did was... not want that. These are my worthy 30s, literally. That's a hashtag I'm using now. Yeah. Yeah, no dirty. Where did, where did it come from? Um... So some of that comes from Worthy Women. So I'm publishing my first book this year. It's called Really? Yeah. It's called Dirty to Worthy. And it's a self-help book slash memoir of my own personal experience from my broken engagement to the slutty year to the finding yourself eat, pray, love status. <laughs> <laughs> eat, pray, love status year. Um, building that business, making an exit, and really finding my self-worth. And um, when I was writing the book last year when I turned 29, I remember thinking, God, my 20s, I don't want to do some of this stuff again. I earned some gray hairs and some wrinkles. And um, I remember I actually wrote an article for HuffPost about it, about all the things I wanted to leave behind and what I really wanted to take into my 30s and what I want for that next decade. And I started using Worthy 30s. Mm. And um, you know, I do this event series called Worthy Women for Women Who Want to Play Big in the World. Mm. And when I turned 30, that was, so two things happened. We did an event that month called How to, Turn, How to Create a Business That's an Extension of Your Personality, which is what I tell people I do, right? My business is literally an extension of my personality. And I turned 30 that month, so we were talking about Worthy 30s there. And I had so many women come up to me and say, me too. I want my worthy 30s. I do not want to go through some of these things again. Like, yeah, I fell on my face, but I want something a little better. I want a decade of stability. So what did you do in order to kind of plan? How do you set the stage for your future successes? So I broke it down into areas of my life, right? So I looked at uh, my personal relationships. Dating was a big one. I'd had some really dysfunctional partnerships in my 20s that I didn't want to revisit. Um, finances. Um, I experienced a lot of debt from my broken engagement and thankfully I paid all that off in my 20s but you know setting myself up for my future what that looks for as far as saving and retirement and you know getting certain things back on track and you know the big things right I'm 30 do you buy a house do you do all the th all the stuff finances relationship career transition my career really proud of that what, um, were, you, what were you doing before uh, grid 110 so um, after my broken engagement uh, I went through like a six month period of just I couldn't function like I could not get out of bed I went through a major depressive episode mm -hmm. um and when I finally decided to pull myself out of it I was like oh shit I, he's left me with like six figures in debt I'm gonna have to get six figures yeah a little over a hundred thousand dollars big wedding Jesus I know uh house in Corona Del Mar like all the, all the stuff right and so I started what was supposed to be Plan B. It was called the Bell Bambino. It was a... Uh, I remember that. I remember yeah, that. Yeah, children's boutique doing first uh, Holy Communion dresses and christening gowns. And I happened to be on the board for Catholic Charities, which is the largest archdiocese in the U.S. Or in... Yeah, oh. Los Angeles is the largest archdiocese in the U.S. Oh, okay. We have 229 parishes. And I created a specialty boutique. And I had to do it as an e-commerce business because I couldn't afford to do a... A brick and mortar. Right. Yeah. And I literally taught myself to code in the middle of the night. I um, did everything online. I, you know, sourced 100% of my business through social media, trunk shows, events. I convinced a manufacturer to sell me clothes, made in America gowns. And literally, I remember his initial buy was like $400 worth of inventory. And um, I was like, why well, I've got 75 bucks and I'll come and pick it up from you in East LA so you don't have to ship it. How about that? 
and he I think he felt sorry for me and he just sold it to me and I said <laughs> okay I'm gonna come back next week with more and P.S. I need your photos because I don't have my own photos so I need some stock <laughs> photography right. here and he gave it to me and we worked really well together and you know I I was a good client for him and then I got in front of the buyer from Sears and that was really cool found them on twitter right so i got resourceful twitter twitter is an amazing oh. resource for connecting Man. there are a lot of social media resources out there i'm amazed by the amount of network that you can actually tap into and if instagram. you have something i yeah. do so much business from instagram and twitter 100 really? if it's not by referral has been sourced through instagram and twitter wow or articles that i've written or been discovered by through like other podcasts and other interviews yeah well this is get into that because i remember yeah. uh when you started writing for huff i was just like oh when, when did that happen or how did that so come about? that was interesting so originally started with the times of israel i had a friend who uh, moved to go live on a kibbutz in israel and ended up getting a divorce got this job at the times of israel and um she goes she hit me up and said hey would you submit an article for toi and i go well i'm only half jewish and i'm not the half that counts <laughs> like it's not on my mom's side it's on my dad's side oh right because it passed down yeah. to the mother right yep and so she said, will you submit an article? And I said, I've never written or blogged in any capacity before. And she said, just do it. We really need stories. We're short on stories. And you've got something interesting to say. So I published an article called The Catholic Girl That Was Too Jewish About My Broken Engagement and Starting My Business. And it went viral. It was a top 10 red post that year. Really? I've never seen such a community from across the world pour out and like reach out to me. It was incredible. And then one of my readers... Uh, added me on Facebook and he sends me a Facebook message one day and he said you know you should write for HuffPost women and at the time that was a new vertical for them mm. and I said oh yeah in my dreams like I would love to and he goes no really you should would you like to do that and I said yeah okay bro like I know you and he goes give me your email so I gave him my email two seconds later I get an introduction to Ariana Huffington herself and she responds right away. Apparently, those two used to work together in the White House. So you never know who's in your audience. <laughs> and she goes, Audrey, we'd love to publish you. So she wrote my, so I submitted a piece to Ariana Huffington and her right hand, his name was Stuart Decker at the time. And that piece went viral. It was a, it landed on the front page for HuffPost Women for two days in a row. Wow. And it was called uh, Stop Having Sex. I did it for a year. And it was about my slutty year and celibate year. And then my publisher found me and said, hey, Audrey, we read your article do you think you could turn this into a book? <laughs> and that's how I got to where I am today. Now I don't really, you know, blog that much anymore in that capacity, but, um, you know, taking that leap of faith and look what it's brought me so many connections. And, um, in fact, I had somebody in my life for two and a half, three years. And we met because of that Huff post article. We we're seeing each other for a long time. That's a whole nother dysfunctional story, but we met on Twitter because he shared my article and reached out to me and said, hey, I read that article. And I said, oh, thanks. And, you know, I'm like eyeing his beard from the Twitter profile picture. Like, damn, you're in L.A. I'm in L.A. What are you doing? And then we ended up, you know, uh -oh. and it went Just from like Twitter, Twitter to G DM. And I call it love in the key of G chat landed in my G chat wow. and in person and. That was that was a three year experience that we've moved on from. But okay. <laughs> go articles like, again, you never know where these things take right, you. Right. And so that's how I got to HuffPost Women and what that's done for me. So you wrote a book, right? Yeah. Wrote my first book coming out this year. Already starting to write my second one. What was that experience like about writing a book? I've always been curious. I've thought about writing a book, but I just, you know, don't even know what that kind of entails. Oh, it was cathartic. Really? Honestly. And all writing has been that way. Um, I'm going to mess up the quote, but Norman Mailer has this quote. It's something to the effect of like everything that he's ever written has killed him just a little bit more. 
and I, you know, like it literally takes a piece away from you, right? Yeah. You put it out there, you burst it, it's done. Um, I think for me, writing has been such a healing process. It's an opportunity for me to look back and process things. Mm -hmm. My undergrad's in psychology, so mm -hmm. I think there's some level of understanding uh, the psychology behind how we process information and how we process hurt and experiences. So things that still hurt us hurt because we haven't found a place for them. We're not at peace with them. So they physically show up in our lives, right? Through yeah. aches, through pains, through tears, the way we react to things. And um, writing for me has been this kind of experience where I go, okay, I've processed it. And now I've literally written it down and now it's done. It has found a place in my, in my history, in my timeline, where it's, it no longer has to be a part of my narrative. Um, so it was hugely cathartic. Wow. Uh, and I think the reflection, having the opportunity to have processed something and come back and look at it and be like, God damn, I swam through a river of shit and came out clean on the other side. Like legit came out clean. Real like, Shawshank, huh? Yeah, it is. You really come out and go, oh my gosh, I can't believe I lived through that. And thank God I did. And look at how that shaped me for this. And honestly, it brings me a lot of gratitude because I had to go through all those things in exactly the format that I did to be where I am today. And I've never been more humbled or grateful for it. Wow. I mean, I, I asked because, like I said, I've been thinking about it. And then it was probably late May when I um, had this idea for a blog post I wanted to write. And uh, while I was laid up at home, when I couldn't do anything, I was kind of mulling over ideas and how I wanted to present it. And over the last week, um, I think I, I went through 29 revisions wow. of, a, of a short five-minute read. I think it was more than that. <laughs> was it more than that? Yeah. So I don't actually revise in that capacity. Really? I, f I go with my gut, and I only write when I'm motivated to write, and I feel like I have something that I need to get out, and then I put it out, and that's the end of it. Mm -hmm. um, I used to, I definitely used to use that approach, and I noticed that my diction, <clears throat> my thought, and my formulation would improve after revisions but that's personal and that's yeah. interesting that you do that because i felt back in the day a lot of what i used to write was very i guess robust in emotion uh, very deep and um purposeful right but now i'm approaching it with more of like a you know i have a formula in my mind i want this to sound a certain way and deliver a certain message so i'm mm. a little bit more deliberate yeah and i'm the type of person that can't do that on the first pass so I, I really admire that. Yeah, that's, a, that's, that's major. Yeah. I think for me, it's the opposite. The more that I think about it, the more I become less authentic because now I'm worried about what you're going to think and am I hustling to create an experience for you that I want to be worthy of versus something that I already am worthy of. Sure. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, and at least for me, the revisions, I, I will end up toning down, toning down, toning down so much where I go, now I'm just scared to put it out there. I think that's my, maybe that's my other fear. Maybe then if I think about it too long, I'll be too scared to put it out there. Everybody so, definitely carries a different perspective. Yeah, because for, for me, all the revisions, I actually had to go deeper and deeper and deeper. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. Because I was, you know, you scratch at the surface or then I, I don't, you know, expand upon my, my thought process enough. And, uh, you know, Turk was pointing it out. And then the thing is, when I went too deep, then I'll be like, um, is this, is this still a good thing to put out? Or is this, is this a little too much? Like Have I, we crossed a boundary? Right, yeah. right. Um, cause, yeah, you know, the, that's uh, go on. Sorry. No, there's there's a layer of vulnerability that you have to have mm -hmm. when if you're going to be doing this, you know, whether it be podcasting or writing the blogs or your books, for it to be authentic. Right. And you know, you can't you can't do service level shit. And I think that's where I have to keep checking myself. Like, no, you you have to be all the way real, and you have to share it. Yeah, to Audrey's point, I mean, you definitely have to leave a little bit of yourself on that paper or you know, metaphorical paper, because mm -hmm. um, 
you are an extension of your words, right? And yeah. and to your point, uh, again, I guess, um, you want to be as authentic as possible. And in doing so, I think with guys, and this highlights a very interesting point, with guys and, and girls uh, blogging and writing and formulating thought, I feel like women are a lot more deliberate in the way that they deliver a thought. It's a lot easier for them to be vulnerable because a lot of what they think and act on is emotion, essentially. For us, it's a lot more of that machismo, like we're going to hide it. We're going to kind of, you mm -hmm. know, cradle it and take it to the grave with us because we don't want anyone else to let to know a part of us. But I think the most successful people out there are the people that actually take that time to introspect and let other people know because you're not alone. Oh, that's right. And that's all I've seen show up for me is how many people reached out and said, oh, my gosh, me too. And I think when you are vulnerable to some degree in that capacity, you give other people permission to also be vulnerable with you. And I don't take that lightly. I can't tell you even after Worthy Women events or after a blog post how many people reach out and say, me too. This is my experience and I can't tell anybody about that. And then I hear their shame stories. And when people choose you to disclose something that's deeply shameful for them, how do you hold space for them in a way that says, that's okay. I'm not judging you for this. I'm so proud of you for being willing to acknowledge that for yourself and give them space to do that. And it, and you know, for myself, think from a psychology point of view, how do I listen to that and not react and harm them? Because the worst thing is when you listen to someone's shame story and you react in a way that makes them feel like they should never do that again. Right. That's absolutely like you don't want to hamper that or dampen their yeah. emotional journey. You want to kind of embrace it and lift them up. And there's power in vulnerability. Huge. There is no That's how way. we connect. Yeah, exactly. So there's two things from that that I want to I wanna go into. First one being with putting yourself out there like that. Is it, is it isolating? Do you feel like, you know, before you got all the feedback and people were like, like yeah, I, I, I can connect with that. Or I feel that same way. Or thank you for being... I don't know if I want to say pioneer, but like to take this whole okay. route yeah. that you're going, um, is, is it, is it lonely? Yeah. There is a, I felt more alone before when I couldn't talk about it. I think the shame was eating me alive, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. Um, and now I, I mean, I don't put things out that I'm not, that I haven't processed, right. Mm -hmm. That I haven't found a place for i'm not just putting it out there just to get feedback for it mm -hmm. um and i'm selective about some stuff right some stuff has no business anywhere yeah um it's private or you know interpersonal with somebody else i think there's a level of connection but you also have to remember when you put stuff out like that and people respond to you they're responding to you from their own place of dysfunction they're responding to you from their own shame that can be positive but sometimes they're still stuck and living that experience that's why it resonates so deeply with them because it's actively in their lives right now mm. and you have to be able to listen to that but still hold a firm boundary and say okay i understand that this is your experience but your experience is not my reality you can still bond over that and you can be friendly and i've made amazing incredible connections life-changing connections as a result but i think you know isolation is something that you choose you either choose to be connected with people and actively pursue deeper relationships or you don't and part of that worthy 30s like relationships was the thing for me how am i pursuing and cultivating my i looked at all my relationships family Career, meaning business relationships, interpersonal relationships, colleagues, how I lead at work with my team, um, romantic relationships. I, after my last relationship, the one that I mentioned that was um, pushed in three years, I walked away from that saying, uh, 
I don't ever want an experience like this again. This was an amazing relationship. It has taught me so much and I am a better person today for having been through this in a positive way. He brought me so many great things, but he is not the partner that I that I want in a life. I want so much more and going being conscious of that going into my next relationship. And I think for a long time I was scared. I was scared to date. It was just easier to work harder because if you let somebody in and you keep getting fucked over, is it me? Am I, am I the one or am I just making bad choices because I'm making a choice from a place of I need it to look like this so that I will feel worthy of love and belonging. When did you realize that it wasn't you or was it you? It's always you. It is always only ever about you. Because you're essentially the only variable in your life that you can control. It is. And but people don't realize that. I will, I will repeat that. It is always only ever about you. You are the problem and you are the solution. You have to make active choices for that. Um, I worked with somebody last year. Um, I'm not a coaching type person in any capacity, but I worked with uh, a coach for like a nine-week program. His name is Brian Reeves. Uh, we met each other mutually through our writing. He, he blogs for uh, Good Men Project as well as other. <laughs> My uh, wife just sent me a link oh, to read on Good Men Project. I, I love like, the Good Men it? Project. Yeah. The conversation that nobody's having about men. Right. And I... And I am like, you know, some people call me a bad feminist, but I love men in my life. I do not feel like I'm being held back by men in any capacity. Um, definitely fighting for, you know, our equality when it comes to diversity and inclusion stuff. But Good Men Project is a phenomenal publication. I met Brian through that. In particular, an article that he had that said, choose her every day or leave her. Huh, and that's I, funny. And she just sent me that same article. Oh, Brian like, Reeves no is a personal joke. friend really? of mine. Yeah. It is a good one. I love that Here, guy. Let me show you. Hold on. There you go. She just yeah. sent it right there. There it is. Choose her every day or leave her. No shit. So I read that article. <laughs> I read that article. That's funny. And that was the day that I told my um, the, guy, the previous guy that I was seeing that from that relationship. And I said, I don't want you in my life. You don't support me. You do not choose me. And I'm not choosing myself. That's the bottom line. I wasn't choosing myself in that situation. I was always compromising and I was compromising my integrity. Right. Mm -hmm. And I said, all right, it's time to move on. And then I reached out to Brian. I said, I loved your piece. I love your other work. I'm going to choose myself. I see that you have a program. I'd like to participate in it was nine weeks. I started worthy women during that program. And, um, it was a transformational experience. Brian and I have become personal friends and that was a, it was nine weeks of deep diving into what are the things you want to change in your life and how are you actively doing it mm. and do it, not just talk about it, do it. And I think for me, it was having this accountability. So we talked about loneliness, right? Mm -hmm. But for me, it was um, not like a therapist style thing, but it was having this accountability of saying, yeah, I'm not, you can't, I can't bullshit you. I really did. I had to do what I said I was going to do. And if I don't having somebody call me on it and say, mm, you're talking yourself out of this. Why are you scared? Dig deeper. What is the fear here? And how are you going to overcome it? It takes a very strong foundation to build upon something that deep. Yeah. And it's funny because I, I take a lot of, um, progressive ideas from work because I like to think of myself as a progressive, I guess it's whatever. Um, a lot of that team building, a lot of the mentality that you take into leading a team at work translates a lot to what you do at home and in a relationship. Everywhere. It really does, right? There's a lot of crossover from what you said um, that, that goes from work to home. And it's funny because I tell my wife this all the time. I bring stuff from work home and I adapt it to a relationship thing. Almost everything that you just said is how to lead a great team, holding yep. people accountable 
making sure that they understand what they're responsible for, making the changes, actively participating in the change, and making sure that at the end of the day, you know you did everything you could to possibly meet your deadline or whatever to your accountability partner. Life is all about accountability, and life is all about, I feel life is all about being on top of your mental health. Because if you're not, you're not being true to yourself, you're not being true to everybody around you. And it takes a very strong sense of self to understand where you are and how to improve upon that. I think that's phenomenal. Everything that you just said resonates with me. So personal development is a big thing for me, right? Mm -hmm. Obviously, that's how I've managed to cope with getting from point A to point B and all the other things in between. In my When I was making the decision to say, I want something different in a future relationship, one of the biggest things that I said was outside of, and I, I want honesty, right? Everybody does. That's the underlying foundation to all things. Don't make decisions for me or paint a pretty picture. Show it to me like it is and let me choose whether I want to participate or not. Bottom line, number one. And number two, I said I really want to be with somebody who cares a lot about their own personal development. I want to know that I'm doing all my work and showing up and that you're doing your work and right. showing up. And together, for as long as this works, whatever that looks like, we are coming at it with the best place for each other. And uh, and that takes us a level of maturity, right? Not just on my part, but when you're looking at somebody else and saying like, oh, you're a great guy, that's great. But if you're not seeking your own emotional maturity and part and actively participating actively in it is that's the main that's yeah, the thing that's like, the driving point then it's not going to be a fit for me i don't care i don't care what your job is i'm not too particular about what you look like i mean do you have a great beard i don't know <laughs> right? great chest hair i, I don't mean, know can you I, like can hairy I, guys can i run yeah. my nails through it right <laughs> but um act I wanted to be with somebody who was not just going to be upfront with me but who is actively participating in their best self so what would you say was the biggest change in how you approached dating in your 20s because you had significant relationships in your 20s and they were impactful whether it be positive negative or how you turned it into a positive to where you are now and what you're looking for is seemingly completely different but more uh enriching perhaps okay so in my 20s i hadn't really found my self-worth yet and i was making choices based on what i thought others expected of me i had to get engaged i had to get married because Mm. it was the next thing to do in life it was just what you did Right. Right. So we made choices based on if I do this, then I will be following the blueprint, meaning I am worthy of love and belonging and acceptance. I am now worthy because I did X. And I call these the when eyes. When I do, when I find that guy, I will be worthy. When I lose 20 pounds, I will be whatever. Right. When I do X, Y, Z, that's an external, I will be worthy of it. Now in my thirties, it's, I am worthy right now as is mm-hmm. not despite my imperfections but because of my imperfections i just am and coming at that with this approach is not like i'm not going to sit here and paint a rosy picture for you about you know whatever i think it is that you need to hear to want to date me this is just how i am and if it works for you and we work together great and if it doesn't that's cool no harm no foul right and i've done that i i did that to somebody a couple months ago when on a nice date halfway through the appetizer i go you know what i'm just not feeling it how right. about i pay and let's call it a right, night right. nice wow. to meet you and i met a, i met another guy it was super awesome and i was like you know what i think i'd like to work with you i feel like our businesses are overlapping why don't we just refer business to each other and network and let's just not date and he was kind of offended by that but i was like <laughs> you know i mean you're nice but i'd rather work with you than date you because mm-hmm. i can feel myself getting bored like oh. and having the maturity to say that up front <laughs> right yeah, to right. be like yeah. like th- it's not you 
it's me. This is just not my fit. And and you hit on something really interesting because in the in your twenties, you really are living a, a generic kind of cookie cutter kind of life because you don't know what there is out there. You're so young. You're so in this yeah. bubble, you know. And now at thirty. I feel like your life can be more customized, you know, like you're an action figure and I can have the, the lightsaber and the shield, you yeah. know, it's kind of like I can have it all. But at the same time, you have to know what you want. You have to know what it is that will eventually define you as a person. Right. And you don't always know that, but you have a better idea of it and you can actively pursue it. But also being able to stop and say, you know what, this no longer serves me. This is not serving me and I'm going to stop perpetuating this mistake. And that is the self-awareness that I care more about. Mm. So, so now in your thirties, you're, you're still dating, right? Yeah. Do you feel the pressure or is it an, a desire? Does it, has it changed as far as whether marriage or, you know, family or whatever the case is in any capacity that it may, you know, how you, how you, how you would want it to look. So in my twenties, I thought I would be married and done having kids by 30. I'm now 30. I'm not married. I've had a broken engagement and I have no children and one ovary. and i'll tell you what i want kids i do i want kids but i've also come to terms with this if it happens for me and this is how it's going to show up in my life great i have a friend named melanie notkin who wrote this book called otherhood and she said i am not childless i am childful i have children in my life as an aunt as a godmother in other forms and i've kind of gotten this thing where i feel like when you hold on so much to what the outcome has to look like you control you force you manipulate to make it happen whether that serves you or not so i sit here and i go do i want children i would love that is it a you know must happen or the world's gonna end no we'll just see what happens would i like to get married i'm catholic right (laughs) i was raised catholic and jewish but i'm a practicing catholic i go to daily mass Mm. do i have this vision of walking down the aisle in my long dress my very long cathedral veil diana style like princess anna like Mm -hmm. yes (laughs) Uh, of course who doesn't but it's getting i've learned this getting married in a big ring does not make a partner i want a partner Mm -hmm. i want somebody who's we're building this together right i look at my parents um my parents have been married 33 years they're complete opposites um but they're the best partners. And the older I get, I look at my parents and I go, I want that. I want that. I want the partnership. We're in it for the long haul. This is us together, but we choose each other every day, right? Comes back to choice. Mm -hmm. We consciously choose each other every day. And um, I don't need to be married to have that kind of partnership. I don't need to be, to have children to be motherly or have, you know, children in my life. So We'll take it where it comes. I hope those things are in the future for me. But if not, it's not the end of the world. So going back to what you said about about looking at your parents and seeing what they have and, and wanting that, was there ever a time that you didn't want what they had or you just didn't see it or you saw it differently? Yeah, of course. You know, I think when I was younger, like I, you know, my mom um, always worked part time or stayed at home with us. My dad was provider. My mom was an educator. My dad was an engineer, very Norman Rockwell family. Like, we came to this country for you to be a doctor, lawyer, engineer. You're going to marry a doctor, lawyer, engineer. If he's Jewish, that's amazing, right? (laughs) (laughs) Icing on the cake. And so when I was younger, I resisted that. I had this incredible need to prove and achieve and look at my mom and be like, oh, I'm never going to have. And I think some of that comes from the the immigrant parent thing. And some of it comes from my parents saying, you can do everything. You can be everything. Don't ever rely on a man to provide for you. You should be independent. I think some of the challenge in that messaging when you tell little girls that um, is that you think that you have to do everything always by yourself and cannot have partners, that it's embarrassing and shameful to ask for help. Mm. And that's not true, right? So I think for a long time I was trying to you know, be the antithesis of my mother. 
well, no, I'm not going to have kids or I'm going to achieve and do blah, blah, blah. And I can do everything all by myself with or without a man. And, you know, that's not really, I've learned to embrace my femininity, right? And I thrive so much better when I do that. I don't need to behave like a man to succeed like one. I succeed like Audrey and that's enough. And that's perfect for me. But I also look at my parents now and I think, gosh, you know, they, they've worked really hard to give us the experience and the childhood that we have. And our childhood was not dysfunctional like other people. Like as an adult, I look at people, you know, you talk about looking at dating and you go, damn, your parents effed you up just a little bit. <laughs> it's a miracle you're functioning. Yeah, I think we, we, we all have a little <laughs> right? bit of that, I think, growing up. Yeah. yeah. Enjoy your take home. Have a good night. That's exactly. <laughs> but no, I, I, you know, very Norman Rockwell family, very yeah. happy, supportive family. And um, my parents were, and that's not easy to provide that for somebody. Like, look at us when we go through our personal shit and you, how, how are we shaping the lives of offspring, right? For you with children. Mm-hmm. Um, and I respect my parents so much for that. And I think my parents did a damn good job. If I do half of what they did, then I will be okay. No, I completely feel you on that. And then you, you said learning to ask for help. Oh, yeah, and that was a hard one for me. When when did you... Uh, I think that's a hard one for everyone. Uh, yeah, that was, that's where I was going. And w- at what point did you realize that that's okay? Um, so when I went through that big depression, right, six months, here's the other thing. You know, nobody ever told me like, hey, you're depressed. This is not normal that you can't get out of bed and you feel like you can't function and the world has collapsed around you. And it wasn't because of the broken engagement. It was, it was a personal letdown for me. Um, it wasn't like I was sitting there heartbroken. I was very relieved to have not gotten married, quite frankly. It wasn't him. It was this idea of for a smart girl, how the F did I land here? How did I compromise myself so much that I'm in this mm. position? You I felt like I lost myself. More upset. Yeah, right? I was like devastated. Kind of yeah. I was devastated in myself. And um, the thing that got me out of that depression was actually listening to Brene Brown's first TED Talk before it went viral on shame. <laughs> and I remember listening to it and I remember thinking that day, I'm going to get out of bed today because you know what? This is me living in shame. I'm a perfectionist and I have used this sense of achievement to define my self-worth and it's okay every i'm not alone in this this is just a this is just a form and i bought her book during greatly um i saw a therapist for about five months um i think people underestimate the power of therapy shit i think people underestimate the power of just talking to someone absolutely and i couldn't talk to anybody i was so isolated and um and that was before you really realized to ask for help so that kind of going to therapy i would say would that have been a segue for you to kind of realize, hey, maybe I can really reach out and ask for help. I think it was more, it wasn't necessarily the therapy portion. It was, and it specifically came from her TED Talk. It was this idea that reaching out for help doesn't make me less than. Mm. It makes me aware and it makes me responsible as an individual to say I can't do it all. And that was the difference. Understanding that me not being perfect doesn't mean I'm not worthy of love and belonging. I'm just human. Yeah. And... The therapy portion of it was more of like, how do I process this? How do I get through this in a way that's going to help me get to the other side? Because I want to stop feeling this way. What is it? And it was for me, it was introspective of like, what am I going to do to move on? It's funny that you say that because I listened to this podcast called The Engaging Leader and they go over that topic and a lot more. Um, and, and it's so funny because I've been so career focused in the past year, year and a half trying to drive change in my own life and finding ways in which I can drive change. And everything that you're saying essentially boils down to relationship because so much of our lives, again, I have to go back to this and really emphasize, we really don't realize how much of our lives 
is spent working, trying to attain something that will eventually give us a level of comfort where we really don't have to work. I think, Audrey, you alluded to this earlier, probably off air. That's what we're going toward. And a lot of the stuff that you learn in the workplace can be adapted to your home. So they talk about shame, uh, again, on a, on a very good point. And I, I really appreciate that you can really go out of your comfort zone and ask. And it does show that you are, one, not only willing to learn, but willing to understand and willing to grow. Yeah, the, something you just said I want to touch on. We only exist in relation to other people. Right. So relationships, not just leadership, personal and what have you, I can sit here and think I'm totally okay. But if I'm in front of you and I have an instant reaction to you and it's super negative, you are always my reflection of me, right? Everything, the, your external world is a reflection of your internal condition. So when you, 100% of everything that you do can only happen in relation. So it doesn't matter how great I'm feeling about myself. If I can't experience that with you and show up and be compassionate for you and have patience for you, then that's my own shit staring back at me. And that is a big part, I think, of, you know, as you were touching on from that podcast about leadership, but it shows up in every single areas of our lives. You're not one way in one section, different in another. It is a consistent through line. And that's the one biggest thing when it comes to relationship where I go, regardless of what it is, I have this mantra at home and I use this every day. And basically it's, it's from an Elena Brower, she's a yoga instructor class that I took. And, uh, it says this place where I meet myself is the place where I meet you. Where do I meet myself today? Do I meet myself in fear? Do I meet myself in compassion? Do I meet myself in uh, gratitude? And one of the girls that works with me, her name's Yvette, sometimes she'll tell me, I'll respond to her in meetings, and she'll be like, you just showed up in fear, Audrey. That response, that was you being fearful. And we apply That's this in great. our team. That's great. Wow. This is how we work. And, and so much more. Now, I've seen after interviewing with so many different companies, so many different companies are oblivious to the emotional and psychological aspect of the workplace. Yeah. It is a big part of the workplace. Mm-hmm. You can't work in a workplace that makes you feel like you're trapped in a fucking box, mm-hmm. right? Which is a lot of workplaces in the U.S. We have by far the worst work culture out of any nation in the world. And we get shit upon uh, constantly for it. And it's the companies that have the amazing work culture or that are like, you know, on par with other countries that are these like, I just wish I could work there. Right. Like the Silicon Valley tech startups. But it's leaching out into more. Like when I was interviewing for Starbucks, it was phenomenal. It was an experience that blew my mind. The leadership, when they're conscious of the fact that people are emotional creatures. Yep. You will have people going to the ends of the earth to work for you and do anything for you you guys read simon sinek's books yes not just start with why but leaders eat last leaders eat last i'm, mm. I'm currently reading that right now as a matter of fact simon sinek um when i read i mean it started with start with why but when i read leaders eat last i really stopped and asked myself how am i a leader in my world and how do i effectively want to lead the other thing is i read a it was a psychology book called a compassionate um and a Ooh, I think it was compassion, an approach, a new approach to life's challenges, big psychology textbook. Mm -hmm. And it's all about um, leadership and compassion and what we have for ourselves and for others and how that shows up in our leadership styles. And it's particularly focused on military experiences, similar Mm -hmm. to like Simon Simon Sinek Sinek stuff, right? Um, Really, really powerful stuff. And it's amazing, and it's amazing how much you can actually engage that because you look introspectively when you're reading, you reflect. Right. I stop. I have a habit of now reading a chapter, stopping and asking myself, 
how does this apply to me? Same. I highlight and I write in the margins. So when people ask to borrow books, they literally get all my inner thoughts. And then I go back and reread them after a period of time because I want to see how it still applies or it doesn't. Mm. I, I'm huge with that. I'm, I'm really bad at writing in book. I hate it. It's kind of like a pet peeve. So I, every time I read, I want to sit down with a notebook and just write and take notes. But I'm always reading and I can't take notes. So yeah. I think I should start writing. Uh, there's something to be said. It. Well, here's the other thing. When I highlight something physically and I underline it, you. I feel like it leaves an impression in yeah. my soul. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it It's embedded in me mm. at that point. Now, I'm not familiar with the author or these books. Can you say the titles again? Uh, one is Simon Sinek. Uh, did I say that right? Yeah, Simon Sinek. And it's um, Start With Why was the first book, and he mm. had a very viral TED Talk. And mm. the second one is called Leaders Eat Last. But if you YouTube him, he's got several like hour-long um, talks that he's done for 99U, Creative Mornings, um, all about leadership. And it's really um, kind of this through line of when you have a clear mission and a clear why, you create movements because people can see themselves in the narrative that you're telling them, but they don't just see themselves in it. They believe it that it, they are of purpose and it is of them to be of purpose. So they, you know, that's how great, you know, he talks about like Steve Jobs and how he created, you know, the Apple movement, right? And the and the strong following that he has. It's because his why is not just through his product, it's through his people. And that's a very great point. And you can adapt a lot of that leadership to relationship. We get to go. <laughs> yeah. We could take a break real quick. Can we yeah. take a two second break? Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That was a good that was a great point. Pretty insane hours. I'm up at like four in the morning, mm-hmm. and I don't get home until like five thirty-six. Oh yeah. We have two hours, maybe an hour with each other, mm-hmm. and everything else is spent with the kid awake. And when you have a fucking two-year-old running around like crazy, you don't have a lot of. We try and talk. He sees that we're talking. He gets louder and mm-hmm. louder and louder until we start paying attention to him. He wants, yeah, he wants attention, he wants of attention. course. And that's fine. And we're, we feel guilty for robbing him from that attention. So we focus yeah. on him, and then we barely have time for each other. And at the end of the day, you're well, you've so got another, tired. You've you're got like, another baby coming. Another one on the way. Yeah. You know, that's true. I was kind of, um, I was thinking about that this week, in fact. So I had a really long week. David and I saw each other, like, once this week. Mm-hmm. And I, I actually was thinking to myself, like, oh, I miss this guy. Like... Uh-oh. And I saw him, you know, and I was like, in my head, it was after a really long day, and I had I had very little sleep, um, and I just was like, fuck, I'm so tired. I am so tired. I want to not be tired. I want to see you in situations where we're not going out to eat because it's a date and we're doing this. Like, like, can you just come over when I have to, like, go to Costco or, you know, write this next proposal and just be sitting there next to me having a conversation of, like, and that's different because I think, you know comparing to my 20s would have been like well, what are we doing what's next and i'm like mm. can you just come hang out with me when i don't have a face on is that cool <laughs> <laughs> can we netflix and chill but i'll write a proposal and you can review that spreadsheet for me that's yeah, next it's, level love it's, yeah <laughs> that is yeah it becomes more of a business partnership than a than a functional loving relationship oh. and that's where no. i think you have to find you have to find the balance it really does i i don't i don't i don't agree with that statement because i believe that's where like true love is get married all right. Mic drop. If I um, really... Yeah, don't yeah, drop my mics. I won't. <laughs> but I mean, really, that's where... Yeah. I can only speculate. I, don't, I haven't lived it. And look, me, I've always imagined myself marrying a very driven, very motivated, very 
you know, good head on her shoulders kind of girl. And I did. Yeah. Now it's up to me to fulfill that other half, and I have. And now it's trying to evolve it into something bigger. And really, it's like, literally, I, I look at Jay-Z and, and um, what's her name? Beyonce. Um, no, not Eliminating. that one. Not that one. Yeah. Rihanna. Beyonce. No, it's Beyonce. Right, the side chick. Yeah. <laughs> the side chick. Yeah. with the good hair. <laughs> yeah, oh, I, I look at Jay-Z. Like... I look at that relationship, and it's like, fuck. They probably don't have a lot of love in there, but they're a power couple. You know, they don't need it. The but... power takes over the love. Mm, I think I think love is a thing that ebbs and flows. I think you can fall out of love with people. You fall back in love with them. I think, you know, but we have... Re- you're married, there's a lot more on the line. Of course there is. That doesn't, but you're still choosing it for the greater picture because you have a mutual commitment to something else. Yes. But you, I just, have, yeah. you have to make a very conscious it, effort. In my last relationship, after we'd have a little fight or falling out, I used to, I guess now it's justified, but I used to kind of feel feel like a, an empowerment in the relationship because, yeah, we'd go through our, our little spouts. We'd, we'd feel at, at odds and ends with each other. And then when we come to that resolution, it was kind of falling in love all over again and i i thought that was okay this is probably the best i've had as far as relationship goes until you're doing it all the time and you're like (laughs) i'm really tired of choosing you it shouldn't be this hard to choose you yeah especially when the other person doesn't choose you yeah been there and i'm sure and i i'm not sure i'm positive you have well thank you uh that's not a bad thing no i know i i the only one i would be able to think of that that didn't choose me would be the the pancake breakfast didn't choose you oh really she didn't wow think about it she didn't make your eggs and onions cheesy for you <laughs> <laughs> what <laughs> well, did you say breakfast well yes and so, a, I said, so, pan- so i said so i said let me sing the song pancake breakfast is who i was dating when we actually met Who's pancake breakfast? it's code for oh it's code for someone yeah. Yeah. oh that's got her, it yeah. so pancake breakfast yeah. Oh. So in case oh. our oh, in case That's our listeners, everybody's Damn. reaction. Yeah. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't think she knew her. We know each other like a long time now. A long time. Yeah, we've both been through some ups and downs. We have known each other a decade because I had just graduated from college. No. Yes, I was twenty. I just graduated Cal State Long Beach. I graduated two years early. I remember that. Yeah. We've known each other. A day. You have known me through all my 20s. Poor you. <laughs> I feel sorry for somebody seeing that shit. <laughs> well, that's wasn't, mine still wasn't here. the prettiest either. Mine was not pretty either. No, I don't think any of us had really no. glamorous 20s. It's very rare nowadays. Mm. But it's interesting you say Pancake didn't choose me because I was going to go with Edison in that whole debacle. Oh, yeah. No, definitely. But that was, that was actual like a blatant. She had the choice and she chose someone else. Mm-hmm. Whereas this one was just in the relationship, I guess. You've done it to someone as well. Yeah. yeah More recently. We all have. We have all, we've been on both sides of the table, everybody. And, you know, I think for me, that's the other part of why I'm so conscious of it. Knowing what that feels like on the other side, I don't ever want to harm somebody in that way. It's like when you're not in it and you're not choosing them, don't string it along while you figure it out. Tell them, I don't know. Yeah, I don't want to do this. really tough to make a conscious effort to do it every day. It's good to put in practice. It's something to always have in the back of your mind. It takes work. It does. It's not going to happen overnight. I mean, it certainly hasn't happened for us. And it's something that we're trying to work on because I think Curtis hit on a lot of what she said earlier. What kind of energy you put out in the world, you get back, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, or one of our last guests. 
And I love that. And I've been living that because that actually transformed the way that I think. And I've been using it and projecting it on a lot of my relationships. How do I want people to perceive me? Well, it's how I perceive them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So going back full circle, bring, bring this whole thing back in. The same thing goes with a relationship. You're putting good out to get good in. Well, if you're treating your you know, significant other like shit or neglecting their needs or neglecting their emotions, emotional needs, you're completely fucking yourself over because they're not going to give to you hmm. because you're not giving to them. And that's what I keep telling my wife. It is definitely a two-way street. It is something that we both need to make more conscious efforts of. That's why I've made it a point to kind of at least, and our, and our priest said this before we got, when we were going to counseling, make it a conscious effort to talk to, to each other for at least 10 minutes a day. Mm. 10 minutes a day. That's all it takes. And you wouldn't believe how many people don't talk to their significant other for 10 minutes a day about something that's not work school or you know kids random bullshit yeah kids yeah anything that is in your daily life genuinely looking them in the eye and saying how was your day is there anything i could do for you that's it that's all it takes and it may sound like you know it's hard to extend yourself to that capacity to actually genuinely care about someone but you're in a fucking relationship you do genuinely care about that person you better if you should not if you can't extend that to them you should just not be in relationship with them it's easier said than done though it's one thing to say it it's another thing to actually believe what you're saying because i can ask you hey audrey how was your day is there anything i could do for you and then you know completely shut my mind off not internalize anything that you said and not give you that you know presence of mind that you deserve but i did you the lip service by by saying it and hey in your mind you're actually holding me to the standard that you know, I actually care about you. But in my mind, I don't give a fuck about you. And that's yeah. a lot of relationships. That is. That's very true, actually. That's discouraging, it, uh, first off. Right. But um, again, so we have to make conscious choices. And right. Again, you can, uh, you know, I, here's the other thing I've recently, I've learned. People only love you the best way that they know how. And that, I had to come to terms with this with my parents. They love me the best the best way that they know how. My mom does not understand what I do. My dad does not understand it. They think it's a phase <laughs> right. and they're just waiting for me to like fall on my face again and be like, Mihai, I told you so. So now can you be a doctor, lawyer, engineer before it's too late and marry one? Because right. please, God, mm-hmm. you know, and um, it's not that they don't love me and they're not proud of me because they are, but they truly only love you the best way that they know how. And in relationship with other people, you know, I oh, we have somebody that's not working with us on our team anymore. And I was really bummed by that situation and how that played out and how they were no longer with us and I was like I felt personally slighted by them and I think a big part of that was this person is reacting from their own shit this is her own fear and she is doing the best that she can with what she has right now this is not a reflection on me this is just her shit and I have to see that and understand it and that's the same in all things people love you the best way that they know how and sometimes they harm you I don't think they really truly mean to harm you I think they're just doing the best that they can and Sometimes shit happens. I've done that. I've hurt people. I have truly hurt people in my life. And I look back and I think, fuck, I feel really bad about that. But at the same time, I was doing the very best that I could. And that's all I can ever do. You know, that's I I don't think I actually touched on this. Or maybe one line I did. I wrote this blog post uh, that I put out, I think, yesterday. And one of the things that I've, I, I always assess when I start looking back on relationships and, you know, questioning whether, okay, did I, did I get out of this one too fast or did I not put enough effort in or did I not love her where she was? Or did could I just not accept where she was in the sense of um, loving people where they're at? Loving people where they're at. Yeah, yeah. I, 
<laughs> not who you think they want them, who they're going to become, right. who they might be, who they or are their today. best are p- potential, moment. who right. they are as is right now. Right. That's a difference. And that's how love evolves. Because people change. As with that change, the love will change. Shit. I have fallen in love with the best future version of somebody so many times and not seen them exactly how they are right now. Because you see the potential and you think, oh, this is going to be this. This is going to be that. And do you think that's why the relationship ended? If you had seen them for and loved them for who they were, would you think your life would be different now? Do oh, you think course. your life would be different? Of course. Absolutely. With them or still without them? Um... I guess that's an unfair that's question. That's a tough question. Yeah, one of them, really... one of them, I would probably say with them. Mm. Yeah, because looking at all, all the ones I look back in the past, and I definitely look at the girls that I was dating with, what the potential could be or what it, what it, the idea of it, right, or how it could have been, and the reality of it was, no, I, I, I just didn't want that life. Unfortunately. Well, that's it. Relationships encounter you encounter a lot of arrogance in relationships. It's a mm-hmm. lot of your own personal pride, a lot of your own personal, you know, what can I gain from this? Where am I going with this? And not just love relationships, but you know, business platonic relationships, whatever, what have you. It, it's all you need to set that aside. I think you need to put your hubris on on the other side of you and just stand there and ask yourself genuinely, what do you want? And what can you offer? Yeah. That's it. It might not sound as easy. It's definitely not easy. But uh, that's something that I can definitely say that I've done a couple of times and it's worked out. But being more conscious about that in life throughout is very difficult. It takes a lot of fucking energy to maintain relationships. And I think we've mentioned that before. It's not an easy thing. It's definitely not an easy thing. And this is kind of depressing. Yeah. <laughs> you want something a little more upbeat? I don't know. I just, I'm just like, do we, do we just like end it here? Because I guess because we'll... now this is sad. Do we want the more positive things on relationships? Because there's some good stuff in them. Yeah. Well, Life-changing good things. In, in what? In relationships, oh. right? See, even some of my uh, more unfortunate past relationships, where I look at that and I go, God damn, that was a life-changing experience and I am a better person for it. Like I was, I showed up for you. You may have not chosen me, but I chose you and I showed up the best way possible that I've in ways that I've never done in any other relationship and felt like, you know what? Now I can say I, I deserve more. I, I want somebody who's going to show up in the same way for me, but I have no regrets about the way yeah, I showed up for them. Yeah, you don't keep a chip on your shoulder Shit, ever. You I can't. still love that dude. You know, if I saw him today, I'd be like, damn, I love you. Like, good shit like i don't need you in my life right now like we are not good for each other all the time and we need you know some space to not be around but if he called me and needed something i would be there it's a stepping stone yeah it's definitely a stepping stone it's a way to you know that evolutionary thing that i was talking about earlier you evolve you grow you learn you change yeah that's it tweetable Tweetable. (laughs) wow wow all right well i guess since we're getting to tweetables um audrey where can the people find you um at audrey bellis um instagram twitter audrey r bellis on snapchat which Uh i've just discovered and just gotten into (laughs) for all my unfiltered life (laughs) i'm always unfiltered yeah i was gonna say you're pretty transparent (laughs) for the most part but snapchat's a you know behind the scenes of me with literally no makeup on (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> me too i hate putting up makeup when i use my snap I you're not use, drying on your I, eyebrows no i just i just use the filters they just help so much hide the they ugly. do <laughs> i love those filters yeah it's tough i don't i don't i i keep forgetting to use my filters on snapchat anyway 
My pimp hand. Pimp hand strong. Oh, I have not used that phrase in a long time. <laughs> now I want to. I'm going to pound my pimp hand strong. <laughs> pound it. Well, Audrey, thank you so much for being on the show with us today. <laughs> had a great time catching up. I can't believe it's been 10 years that I've known you. 10 years, an entire decade. Wow. Crazy. I can't believe it's been two hours that I've known her. Feels like forever. Feels like forever. I don't know if that's a positive. I mean, I'm good at building reports. I'm good in sales. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Where can the people find you? Uh, You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Audrey Bellis or Snapchat Audrey R. Bellis. And Tarek, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at the underscore ruined, Facebook at the ruined, one word, and Snapchat. I don't even know what my Snapchat is, but find me. I'm there. I need more followers. <laughs> and I am Randy Z on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. St. Keys is around too, but no one cares. No one no one really follows St. Keys. But if you wanted to, it's at with a Z. Young That's Sankeys. a nineties swag. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to another episode of Talk Thirty to Me. We hope you enjoyed it. Be sure to check us out at talk32me.com. Remember to leave us your comments. Be sure to rate us. And please hit that subscribe button to let us know that you care. For Talk 30 to Me, I'm Turk. And I'm Randy Z. Peace. I love you. Was that for me or for Randy? Both. It's all of us. And Sankeys. Poor Sankeys. We couldn't give you a mic today. Sorry. But you're here. Welcome back. Welcome back, Sam. It's been long. I'm in a little bit. Okay. Sugar made him happy. Right. Fondulce. That's why I didn't eat it before. I love it now. It's that carb feeling. Yeah. There you go. The euphoria that comes from carbs. That's some real shit. Maybe that's why I like pasta on dates. I feel like I just want to fucking go to sleep after that, though. Like, for real. Like, well, yeah, like, uh, come cuddle me. Rub my pasta yeah. belly. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe rub this a little bit. It feels so good. Oh, I'll tell you what my dad did. My dad recently just started Instagramming. And, uh, you know, my dad's into motorcycles and um, uh, off-road stuff. He's now a brand ambassador for KTM, which what? is hilarious. So my dad, who does his Instagram, has started Instagramming, like, when he's, now that he's recently retired. His welding projects, behind his mask. And here's the other thing. So when you weld things, you create projects, you know, you're fabricating stuff. And so my dad is using the hashtag FabDad and Fab Fridays. And I was like, Dad, what is this? Like, why are you using Instagram and you're liking my photos and you're selfieing and showing off your garage and all your, like, activities? And my male friends are like, your dad's so cool. FabDad over there is welding stuff. I want to weld with your dad. I want to go off-roading with your dad. What what do you think that, that hashtag and he doesn't call him hashtag, he calls him pound. So I pound. told him, So dad, I'm going to Vegas. He's like, pound Vegas, pound Fridays, pound Fab Dad. And I'm like, oh dad. Please don't tell people that. <laughs> but they love him for it. They love him That's for it. Yeah, That's but yeah, but you know, quality. I look at my dad and I'm like, Daddy. You have proven you could be <laughs> completely out of it, but so into it, you don't oh. even know it. That's and cool. I, yeah, I love it. And so I go, what is Fab Dad? Things. I swear to God, I have a video. Oh, wow. It was hilarious. I like that. I want to be that. Yeah, I'm almost... You can be fab-
stepdad now. So I looked up the hashtag because I thought it was going to be like a bunch of gay guys or something. No, it's like men with kids, like holding their kids being like, I'm a bad dad. Like, or wives talking about their husbands with their kids, you know. It's like a dad. Yeah. It's bad dad. My dad thought it was great. He's like, how come nobody's like, like, in my photos, I pounded bad dad. <laughs> I pounded <laughs> The welders aren't finding you, dad. <laughs> They're not fabricating the <laughs> 